think it's more a problem if you're just not paying attention and, you know, 10 years down the wrong path, you finally kind of lift your head up and you're like, hey, wait a minute, how did I get here? This is the Happen to Your Career podcast with Scott Anthony Barlow. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and make it happen. We help you define the work that's unapologetically you, and then go get it. If you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. What would cause someone to leave opportunities working with Jay-Z or Allen Iverson or Rihanna? But, you know, for me, there's something that was always missing, and that was this piece of fulfillment. So obviously from the outside looking in, they were exciting jobs. And when, when I got there, they were still exciting. But the shine wears off pretty quickly in, in jobs like that, and, and then it becomes a job. That's Mo Shanbukum. He's a career coach who works here with us at HTYC, and he's left many dream jobs multiple times over. He's also made many career changes, ranging from attorney to career coach and many things in between in many different industries, too. And as you might imagine, this means that he has a lot of insight on the subject, which is also part of the reason why we wanted him on our team. But aside from that, Today, we get deep into some of the lessons that are in Mo's story, and Mo hangs around to answer some of your questions that have been sent in by listeners over the last couple of months. Enjoy. So first, let me say it's definitely been a a mutual love fest, so I'm glad I'm finally part of the team here. And also, for me, this is exciting because I'm a longtime listener, and now to be a guest and part of the Happen to Your Career team is uh, pretty exciting for me. So I'm sort of going to be a little fanboy here and uh, <laughs> and let you know that. I but yeah, it. so the question of how I became a career coach is actually really interesting. I like to say I've had several dream jobs in my career. First, sort of leaving college, I was a marketing major and landed a job working at Reebok at their headquarters in Massachusetts. I was a marketing associate there right out of college. I'm super curious about that. Mm-hmm. When you started in marketing, what caused you to actually start there? We're going to go all the way around because clearly you haven't always been a career coach, right? And you've gone through this really interesting set of of career decisions along the way. And you've had multiple dream jobs, as you put it. And I totally understand that. I've been there too. So what caused you to get into marketing in the first place? Yeah. So for me, I've, I've kind of always knew what I wanted to do. So back then when I was going through college, I was a business major. And back then it was either you focus on finance or accounting or marketing. And I'm definitely not a numbers guy. And I was always attracted to the idea of working in the sports and entertainment industry. I kind of just paid attention to my own interests. And I loved movies and TV and sports back then. And working in those industries seemed like the the right choice for me. And I loved the idea of marketing and being creative and things like that. So marketing was a good fit for me. And it was actually my um, professor, senior at college. I went to Boston University, born and raised in Boston. He was actually the uh, head of online marketing at Reebok at the time. And he was a sort of like young, young internet prodigy. He was probably only a few years older than me at the time. But anyway, he was our professor. Him and I had a good relationship. And you know, come graduation time, he was hiring and I got hired to work on his team. So that was really exciting coming out of college, landing a job at Reebok, essentially doing exactly what I wanted to do. And it was fun, you know, working at Reebok headquarters at the time, 
you know, we were partnering up with, I'm dating myself here, but, you know, we were partnering up with uh, uh, athletes like Allen Iverson and Steve Francis and, and people like that uh, for the NBA. And it was almost like working at a supercharged summer camp. I mean, we would play basketball at lunch and, you know, soccer outside and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So it was a pretty cool place to work. Yeah. Great job coming out of college. And I loved it. It was a great time. But I would say for me, the learning curve was pretty fast and a few things started to happen. I would say about a year and a half into it, working for a big company is one of those things where either you love it or you hate it. And I've come to learn that I'm more of a small company type of guy. Um, I don't like feeling like a cog in the wheel. I don't like feeling like, you know, decisions are being made that I have no impact on. And that was happening a lot, obviously, at Reebok. Um, and not that I went in expecting to make decisions, but, you know, if you're young in your career, you want to pay attention to the environment and see what you like and what you don't like about it. Yeah, yeah I just didn't feel like, you know, it was, it was fun to work at a big co- corporation like that. And also, quite frankly, you know, after about a year and a half, I was kind of like not excited about learning how to sell more shoes online. The bottom line of making more money for Reebok just wasn't exciting to me anymore. And I felt like there was something else out there for me. And so I started thinking about what I wanted to do next and, and law school kind of popped into my head. And, you know, for no other reason, just the fact that it felt like a noble career where you could still make a good living. And otherwise I had no contact with attorneys. I didn't know what attorneys did other than, you know, what I knew from watching way too much Law & Order. <laughs> but life actually took me to Los Angeles. So Reebok was going through a round of layoffs. I actually got laid off. Um, after about a year and a half there. And I actually ended up moving to Los Angeles, had a bunch of friends from law school that were out there, had family out there and booked a one-way ticket to LA and kind of got caught the entertainment industry bug. And through my contacts there, I was able to land a job working for uh, one of the big talent agencies out there. And that was such a cool experience. You really had sort of the quintessential starting off in the mailroom, working your way up to uh, an assistance desk. Then you become a junior agent, then a, uh, a more senior agent and so on. I was in that world of like A-list Hollywood actors and directors. And as a literary agent, I got to our clients were the writers, uh, screenwriters of, of motion pictures of, of major films. And it was cool to be an assistant. Uh, you really sort of got to see the insides of how movie deals get put together and, and, and we were working our counterparts with uh, were at the, the major studios like Warner Brothers and Universal and Sony and things like that. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, I was following that theme of I, I love sports and entertainment and here I was getting getting a chance to work in the entertainment industry. And you'll also see the theme of every job I've ever landed was because I knew somebody that knew somebody. I've never had to rely on my resume. It didn't matter where I went to college or what my GPA was. So, um, you know, that informs a lot of my coaching now is, uh, to me, it's all about networking and connections and, and building good relationships. It makes the job search, uh, infinitely easier and infinitely more possible too. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, you know, I, I really, you know, I can't imagine how hard it would be to get a job at, uh, uh, a large talent agency simply by applying online. Oh my goodness. Those, those numbers <laughs> uh, have to be yeah. infinite, infinitesimally small. Yeah. Right? I mean, cause what I learned from the inside was. Listen, I was a young 20-something working there, but I was working alongside guys who had, you know, were 10 years older than me, and we're all starting in the mailroom, pushing a mail cart, making like 300, 400, 500 bucks a week back then. But these were guys who were older than me, less six-figure careers on Wall Street from major law firms in New York and, and, and major cities, all coming to chase that dream of working in the entertainment industry. So I can only imagine how competitive it is. I mean, I, I can't imagine they even looked at anyone 
who applied online for those types of jobs. I think everyone got in because they, they had a connection and they really hustled to, to stand out. Yeah. Quite frankly, I think sports and marketing and entertainment, those are pretty um, competitive fields because people really want to work in those fields and they don't pay a lot in the beginning. So it's uh, you really have to want to be in there, <laughs> be there to work in those jobs. And so working in the entertainment industry was awesome. I, I, I loved it for a, as long as I did it. But I also saw there that it wasn't the right fit for me pretty quickly. But, you know, about a year, about a year in, um, you know, you kind of see how crazy the personalities are. You know, there's a little bit of a, a toxic work environment. I, w- I won't get into some of the the shadiness of the entertainment industry, but for people who've been in there, can they can attest to uh, how crazy it is. And if you're a fan of Entourage, you know how poorly uh, assistants get treated in that world. And and for me, I kind of had a little too much self-respect to, to put up with, <laughs> with that kind of treatment. So, yeah. you know, another thing I would point to is that even back then I was able to sort of assess who was above me. So with the agents and senior agents above me, I could tell that there was no one in the leadership of the company that I wanted to be like. They were all kind of jerks and really sort of self-absorbed and narcissistic. And, and, uh, you know, that's just not who I wanted to be. And if that's who I needed to be to sort of climb up the ranks, then, then I knew this wasn't for me as well. Not to say that that's all of them or or the entire industry, but, uh, you know, back then that snapshot of when I was there, that's what I saw. And so, for me, that's when I started looking again, and uh, the idea of law school came back up, and I went ahead and applied and moved back to the East Coast and and uh, went to law school, and uh, but still with still the desire to work in the entertainment industry, and again, through networking, and this was through a, a very random college friend who had no ties to the entertainment industry except for one random connection. I used that connection to uh, land a summer internship working uh, for the in-house legal department at Def Jam Records uh, in New York City. Nice. Um, and from there, I went on to graduate and work for Def Jam uh, uh, you know, as a, as a law clerk there. So my first job out of law school was working in-house in Def Jam's legal department. Again, a he- another dream job. <laughs> I couldn't believe I landed it. And once I was on the other side, what I saw was, man, I mean, I was the only person hired that summer to work there. And when I was there, I saw students from, you know, some of the top law schools in the country. We're talking like Harvard, Yale, Stanford, sending my boss like gift baskets and letters <laughs> because they maybe they met him at a conference or something like that. Like these kids were doing exactly what they were supposed to do as far as, you know, you know, sending letters and, and, and reaching out to the right people. But um, you better believe that the, you know, senior VP of legal and business affairs at Def Jam is, is not sort of reading your letters or uh, has the time to sort of, or care, cares about your, your, your care package. Um, you know, he's just way too yeah. busy for that. And most yeah. of those care packages ended up coming to me and the other sort of assistants <laughs> that I got to dig into those things. But to me, again, I, it was just very telling. Like I noticed that like you can't just sort of mail stuff in and hope to get someone's attention. Like I, the only reason I got through the door was because I had a personal contact, made some introductions, but then I took it from there. And I noticed that even, uh, you know, another big lesson I got from that experience when I was an intern at Def Jam was, you know, the day you show up as an intern at a company like that, it's a pretty informal work environment. You know, you're in jeans and sneakers, people have TVs and couches and stereos in their offices. Uh, You know, it's not a traditional necessarily professional sort of corporate work, white collar work environment. It yeah. wasn't like that. Um, like you would find at a standard law firm or something like that. 
and there's certainly no sort of formal internship trainee program. Like I showed up all eager to, to do my best and impress everyone. And it was almost like they didn't even know I was coming. So I had to really like hustle and build relationships with the handful of attorneys in the legal department so they could trust me with giving me an assignment. You know, it's not like someone was there thinking about, oh, we need to make sure Mo has a good experience here and learn something. They were busy doing their work. So for me, I, I learned a great lesson in in building relationships and earning people's trust so that they would say, hey, Mo, would you mind looking up this, you know, this clause in Method Man's contract or, you know, we're working on this deal. Could you, you know, draft this letter and, and use this uh, template to, to do to do that? So hold um, on. I just love that you've slipped in there. Yeah. Can you look up this clause in Method Man's contract that just does my heart good? Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I, that, that, that was how cool my, my internship was really you know, it was just like, Oh, we're going to this meeting with, you know, and this is when Jay-Z was president at the time. So, yeah. you know, the fact that that was my work, right? Like, Oh, we're going to a meeting with Jay-Z and, you know, Kanye's new album is coming out. And, uh, this is, they had just signed Rihanna at the time. And so, yeah, like that was my work and that was fun. And who wouldn't love that? Um, I felt very fortunate and very lucky to be in that position. But now, like to finally sort of wrap up my story here, uh, yeah. my career path, you know, I, what I took from all those experiences were, I'm, I'm so glad I had those experiences. But, you know, for me, there was something that was always missing, and that was this piece of fulfillment. So obviously, from the outside looking in, they were exciting jobs. And when, when I got there, they were still exciting but the shine wears off pretty quickly in, in jobs like that. And, and then it becomes a job. And, you know, it's not like I was hanging out with Jay-Z or Kanye West or anything like that. Like I was just sitting in an office looking at contracts and paperwork all day. So the work becomes what you do. And for me, again, I just felt like I wasn't making enough of an impact with my skills. You know, I felt like I had so much more to give. There was so much more I wanted to do that um, I felt far away from that. So then I was really lost. You know, I'd, I'd pretty much worked through my 20s and, and early 30s, kind of knowing what I wanted to do and was very fortunate to land in all those positions. But now here I was at the end of that journey, still feeling like, huh, all right, if those things weren't it, if those things didn't make me happy, like, what am I really looking for here? Now what? And that's when things get interesting. And I, I um, had to really sort of pay attention to some of those like personal desires, but then try and, you know, map that onto a career. And my job search and the one I sort of help clients with and is very similar to the Happen to Your Career uh, programming as well, it's very much geared around knowing yourself better, but then testing out these options that you think you might be interested in and learning from those experiences to understand what is a good fit, not just you know financially or status-wise, but personally. Like, do you find the work fulfilling? And to me, that is, is now like the cornerstone of any decision I would, I would want to make as far as choosing a job is concerned. Status and money just, you know, don't bring you the happiness that you think it would. And I think a lot of people have to learn that lesson first so they can then <laughs> go on and find that fulfilling job that's going to be a, a much better fit and much more enjoyable. Why do you think that is, though? I am super curious about that. I've got plenty of thoughts on, mm -hmm. on that, but I'm really curious about your opinion on why do you think we sort of need to learn that individually first? Yeah, I mean, I think that's just the cue we get from society, right? Like in high school, at sort of that early teenage uh, years, you know, when when you're thinking about career paths, I think most people in in your adult life will sort of 
give you that advice of, oh, here's a good career path. You'll make you good money and, you know, it's respectable and whatnot. So, um, you know, we're, we're also, we all sort of have these preconceived ideas that are fed to us uh, from other people. And not that they're necessarily wrong or bad, uh, wrong, but, um, you know, we never question if that's the right advice for us yeah. <laughs> personally. Right. Yeah. And so I think successful people will take that advice and apply it, but then pay attention to whether it's the right fit for them or not. I think, you know, the people I see struggling with sort of making a career decision or moving forward with, uh, in their career are, are the people who aren't paying attention. You know, so it's not so much a problem if you start off on the wrong path. I think it's more a problem if you're just not paying attention and, you know, 10 years down the wrong path, you finally kind of lift your head up and you're like, hey, wait a minute, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. Um, and have no clue of how to get out of it or in what direction you want to go into. So for me, I'm a big believer that, you know, curiosity is sort of the bedrock of any one sort of successful path forward, whether it's starting a business or choosing a new career path. If you're not curious about anything, if you're not interested in anything, that's a problem. <laughs> Cause I don't know, I don't, I don't know how else to, you know, I wouldn't know how else to then guide you. Right. Like if anyone who's like sort of looking for the answer outside of them, it's um, you know, they're going to be looking for a long time. If they're, if they're waiting for someone else to tell them what to do with their lives, it's a, uh, that's not a winning recipe. Well, that's really interesting that you say that on a lot of different levels, because it almost feels like the work that we have to do with people when their curiosity has been beat out of them for one reason or another mm-hmm. yeah. is like reignite that in, in some different ways so that they can then leverage that as opposed to perpetually looking for this thing that yeah. is external out there as, as you put it, that like, if you're going to, I think you said that, you know, if you're going to be looking for the thing that's always, you know, outside of you or outside or external or whatever you said, you know, then mm-hmm. you're going to be yeah. looking for a long time. And I think that that is true on so many different levels. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you bring up a good point because I think, so when I work with people, people come to me because they think they, they don't know what they want to do. Right. That's like the fundamental question. I'm not sure what I want to do next. And through my own experience and having coached enough people, I actually know something that they don't know about themselves, which is they do know what they want to do next. They're just scared to follow through on that. And so it's funny. I, I kind of laugh with clients uh, where it's like, usually by like, the third, fourth or fifth session, it's like, all right, now that we've kind of like run around in circles because you're scared to admit you're actually, you actually do know what you want. Like we can shortcut this journey for you and just like really focus on the thing that you are scared to admit to yourself. So what I mean by that is, you know, say someone is interested in going into the entertainment industry, for example. So there's that interest, but immediately like the same the same the other side of that coin is the immediate sort of fear of like that's impossible so it's like people have these desires then they have the limiting beliefs about those desires and then so which are stronger than their desires so that they just stay stuck and they talk themselves out of what they really want to do and i call this like the cycle of stuck it's like you have this desire the next thing that pops up is are all the fears based on you know why you can't have the thing you want and you then think it's safer to do something else. So we all want to stay safe, right? We don't want to make a fool of ourselves. We're scared of rejection, failure, and all that terrible stuff. Uh, but what we don't realize is that if we don't make any effort to try, um, you know, we're just going to stay stuck where we are. And that's not good either. 
So, um, so yeah, to your point, our, our jobs are to really help people one, get in touch with what, uh, what they already know, you know, and, and giving them permission to say, that's, that's okay to want that. And let's figure out how to get you headed in that direction. Then. And, 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 and so it's like, we help them figure out what they want and then we help them sort of clear a path to get there. I think that's sort of the essence of what we do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I envision like this big bulldozer, like running in front of you, like clearing, <laughs> clearing out all these trees or anything yeah. like that to be able to yeah. move along that path. But absolutely yeah. love that. You know, I, I think one of the things that would be super cool here is mm-hmm. if we could take some of the questions that you, we have gotten really recently that have to do with mm-hmm. these exact sort of things as people are making sure. these transitions, just like you've done so well for yourself. And as they're trying to figure out what do they want to be doing and how do they move further down the path to be able to get at what they want and then clear the path along the way. You want to answer a few of these questions? Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you know, before we jump into that, there's one, one critical point I want to make that actually came up with a recent uh, client of ours. Let's do it. This idea that asking for help is not something that they're doing. So the, the sort of perspective shift I, I made with this client was, you know, imagine you're sort of a first grader learning how to read and feeling like you didn't need help from your teacher to do that. That would be silly, right? Like, of course, a first grader, you know, learning to read would, would need help from a teacher. And, but in the context of getting help around answering these big, huge questions of what do you want to do with your life, to think that you can answer that question without sort of the help of a guide or someone, someone who's done this already or an expert or a mentor uh, would be silly. But yet people think that. People think they're supposed to know exactly what they're supposed to do. And I see that theme coming up a lot. It's like this, this sort of myth that you're supposed to know what you want to do at the beginning of this process. It's almost like, you know, I'm an, I'm an adult. I should know how to figure this out. But, but you don't, and that's okay. And it would be silly to sort of think that you should know how to do this. You know, you're trying to figure out a problem you've never taken on before. And why not get someone who's done it before to help you with that? You know, it's funny, like your analogy of learning how to read. And I would consider learning how to read a fairly difficult thing overall, right? It's not, it's not like you just practice it once and then you're, you're good for the whole rest of your life, right? right? Exactly. It's, it's something that exactly. takes yeah. a lot of practice and experience and learning and, and continuously getting better at it. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would say that in that way, it's, it's pretty similar. But I would also say that you know, figuring out what you want to be doing and where you want to be spending your time and effort and energy and gifts and everything – is mm-hmm. in some ways way harder than learning how to read. So it it sure. when you when you think about it that way, it seems absurd that we wouldn't want help with that if it's an even larger challenge and an even larger problem yeah. than learning how to read. And you know, we would consider <laughs> we would consider you know learning how to read on our own just miraculously making that happen uh, impossible. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I love that analogy yeah. for all those reasons and more. Yeah. Yeah. And just to put a finer point on this, you know, for anyone listening, uh, the point here is get help. You don't, you don't have to figure this out on your own and you shouldn't feel like you should (laughs) have to figure this out on your own. Yeah. Well, we talk a lot behind the scenes about um, building out a team or building out your pit crew Mm -hmm. in order to help with all of those pieces and help create a support network and environment that is going to allow Mm -hmm. you to do whatever you want to do. In this case, obviously we're spending a lot of time helping people 
figure out what their path is and how to make that happen. And that's what we see is required to be successful. And yet, you know, as you said, we all believe that we have to sort of, I don't know, it's part of adulting or something like that. I don't even know where it comes from necessarily that we think we have (laughs) to do it on our own. And that isn't reality. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I appreciate you pointing that out because I think that's really relevant here. And also, interestingly enough, we're going to read off a few questions here and then we're going to go mm-hmm. through these. But these are people that uh, I don't think all of them were necessarily super comfortable in asking you know, these questions and trying to get help for themselves in a variety of different ways. And they still did it anyways, which is pretty, pretty cool to see. This comes from Anne, and she says, you know, I want a job that fits my strengths, Mm -hmm. but I feel like I haven't been working in my strengths for a really long period of time. Mm -hmm. It's been most of my day outside of my strengths. And I feel like because of that, I need to almost refine my strengths. So what should I be doing or what could I be doing that would help me refine my strengths and be able to find new work that actually has to do with those strengths. So this is not a small question, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm immediately struck by one. I think it's great that she knows what she's good at. I love when, when people have that confidence and can sort of state like, these are my strengths. These are, these are what I'm good at. Um, and so it sounds like she's in an environment where she can't apply those strengths. So I, I guess because it's such a big question, it will, we'll sort of just make up her scenario. Well, and I think here um, is the little bit of the, the context, knowing a little bit more about her situation. I think there's also an yeah. element here okay. where she feels less confident about what her strengths really are because mm. she's been mm. almost, uh, I don't think the right word is beaten down. Um, I don't think that's accurate, but you know, it's, she's lost confidence in what who she really is and what her strengths and what she actually brings to the world. And I think that that's why she's saying she needs to refine it. So I think that's the element that isn't said in that exact question part. Okay. Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, if you're in a, if you're in the wrong work environment, it certainly can beat you down and you can lose confidence in yourself as well. So that's even more of a sort of critical situation. But I think, you know, for her, just the idea of knowing you want to sort of identify what those strengths are, Right. That's like, let's start with that. That's like step one is getting a sense of what your strengths are. And if you can't apply them in your current job, then, you know, part of your responsibility then is to maybe find some projects where you can apply that. And and if it's not within work, maybe it's outside of work. I know. uh, So, for example, even when, you know, when I was a practicing attorney and I was making the transition into coaching, I was building my coaching skills outside of work taking classes and, and practicing with friends and other, other, other people. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't start with the coaching skills. I had to go out there and, and learn them and then practice them. And, and those took place outside of work because I wasn't doing any coaching in my day job. So I'm wondering if she can get creative there around understanding what her skills uh, strengths are, uh, the things she enjoys doing, the things she's good at. And then, you know, if you can't apply them in your day job, then, um, you know, creating an opportunity for yourself where you can volunteer, um, you know, do it for free, create, give yourself the challenge of a project. I talk to a lot of people who are, you know, leaving day jobs in one career to get into like coding and design and things like that. And all that's being done on, on, on off hours, nights and weekends. Um, so yeah, I think there's certainly some, some areas where she can get creative around how she can, uh, 
identify those careers and then create opportunities to work on those strengths. Well, the couple of things that I take from that uh, and what you said and what you shared, Mo, are number one, this is something where you have to actually go and do it in order to rebuild the, the confidence. Confidence from mm-hmm. that comes from having, you know, having the courage to move forward and then going and doing whatever it is and finding some measure of success or some measure of wins. That's where confidence gets rebuilt or built the first time around. So that implies that you've yeah. got to go and do it, right? Just like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. number two, um, even if she doesn't necessarily, you know, to your point, even if she doesn't necessarily know what those are, if she can go and experiment and do some of those things, like actually go and do the things that she suspects fall into those strengths realms for her, then mm-hmm. she's going to have that feedback to be able to say, yes, this very much feels good. This very much is my strength. I want to double down in this particular area. And yeah. uh, if that is the case, then just like you pointed out, like, She's already going to have the skills in in that if as she's doing something outside of her normal job. And one thing to be even even mm-hmm. add or build on what you had mentioned mm-hmm. is a lot of times find that within our current jobs, if there's an area that we want to explore, uh, most employers, most bosses are not going to say no if you're like, hey, there's this thing that I think would benefit the company tremendously, and I've wanted to try for a really long time. Could I take this on as an additional project? I, uh, you know, while still doing my normal work, and be able to do this for the company. And it's something I have an interest in too. And yeah, I know it's a great. That's a great point. So I think there's a variety of different ways. I love what you were talking about there. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'll give an example from one of our recent clients who um, wanted to take on more public speaking or get better at public speaking. And so um, offered to do different presentations and workshops within his organization that wasn't necessarily part of his job description, but uh, was happening within the department. And his, his team was happy to <laughs> have him do more of that. And so I thought that was a great way for him to build the skill set uh, in, a, in a sort of safe, easy environment. That's super cool. Absolutely love that. Yeah. So here's, a, here's another question then. This one comes from Catherine and Catherine says, I've selected some roles to be able to test out. And she refers to you the Goldilocks method, which by the way, we did an episode a while back on um, how to design career experiments. And one of the methods that we talk about in there is the Goldilocks method. So that's what she's referring to where you, mm-hmm. um, where you go and you uh, identify some of the different roles and people within those roles to be able to go and interact with and learn, you know, what do they love about the role? And, you know, what, what does it actually take to be in that role? What does it take to be successful? And many other things to try and determine, Hey, this role is a great fit or this role, you know, this chair is too big. This chair is too small. The, uh, the social Goldilocks version of that. And yeah, so yeah. she goes on to say the roles I've chosen to test are librarian, instructional designer, training and development specialist, and science writer. And she says, where I'm getting stuck is in knowing where to go to find people to interview that have these roles. And I've gathered contact information for people in my network who have these roles, such as librarians in my life and people who have colleagues in these roles. And I've found names of other contacts, but she's wondering what is the best approach here? She says she's considering researching companies to see if they list staff who have have this role and, and trying to continue her research from there. But she wants to find this contact information. She wants to find these people who are there and she's wondering the best way to do that. What do you think? (laughs) 
Well, so first, I think it's great that she knows she's uh, already reached out to friends and family and people that she knows. That's that's brilliant. But Scott, I don't know if you know if you've heard of this uh, site. It's called LinkedIn. Whoa, 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 whoa! Uh, Hold on. <laughs> no, nope, haven't heard of it. <laughs> well, let, let me tell you about it because it's it's a job seeker's best friend. But no, seriously, uh, LinkedIn is one of my favorite tools. I love it, and I love helping clients use it better and more effectively. And that would be sort of my next step for her is, okay, great. So you have this idea of job titles. And if you have an idea of like the, the companies that you would want to work for, then there are, there's a great way to sort of go on LinkedIn, plug in the company name, um, go to the company page, uh, click on who works there, and then use the filters to, to identify people with that job title. And then boom, there you go. You've got a list of X, X amount of people that you can reach out to. And then as you and I know, there's right and wrong ways to message people and, and connect with people on LinkedIn. So, you know, we could, we provide that coaching for her around how to uh, reach out to people. And then, and then you take it from there. It's essentially, you know, doing an informational interview with people that uh, have interesting careers that you, you, you think you might be interested in. And to your point, the Goldilocks method is perfect because what you'll learn is from these informational interviews is, Oh, this feels like a good fit, or that's not what I thought it was, and I I now realize that's not that's not right for me. But yeah, that's probably one of my favorite and I feel easiest ways to start to gain some clarity around what you want to do next. Very cool. So, how might that look? Let's say somebody does want to go the extra step and they want to message somebody mm-hmm. on LinkedIn. You and I both know there's yeah. no perfect script that works for everybody. And in yeah. some cases, you're going to have to modify it in a variety of different ways in order to be more effective. Plus, some people just don't even look at their LinkedIn. So there's that factor too, in terms of like LinkedIn maybe isn't a good contact. But if they wanted to do that and they wanted to get started, and we're not going to be able to cover 100% of all the ways that you can do that here, what's an example of what that, what that reach out might sound like or look like? Sure. So uh, just from like a framework perspective, so when you look to connect with someone on LinkedIn, you want to personalize the note, uh, the connection request, and you would say something like, hi, my name is Mo. Uh, I'm a law student uh, interested in uh, entertainment law. I see that you work in entertainment law. I'd love to ask you a couple of questions about your career path. We'd love to connect with you. Thanks. And leave it at that. So that connection request introduces you lets them know why you're reaching out and lets them know you're interested in their career path. So, you know, it's kind of like sort of a little bit of uh, flattery there where you're not asking for a job. You're just asking to learn more about their career path, which I think is sort of an easy thing people can say yes to. So that's how I would sort of frame that, that outreach. Love it. Absolutely. Yeah. And you can't necessarily fake it, but that, that flattery is very, very helpful as long as it's true and that you are interested legitimately. Right. And right. That is, well, you know, yeah. exactly. So yeah, flattery or just showing that, you know, you actually looked at that person's profile and you sort of pick something specific out of that profile. So it could be, you know, I'm interested in what you do uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm interested in working at, at XYZ company or in this industry, or I see, you know, you went to so-and-so college as well as uh, I'm, I'm an alumni from that college as well. So like whatever you want to use as sort of your hook to connect with them and let them know why you're, why you're reaching out to them. Uh, like you said, it could be a number of different things, but you know, in that example, it was, you know, talking about the fact that they work in the industry that they want to work in. Very cool. Absolutely. Love it. Let's do one more question. I think we've got time for one more here. Sure. Yeah. 
So actually, there's five or six questions here that are very, very similar. So I'm going to pull from mm-hmm. a couple of them here that we've had really recently about time and energy. We all know that if we're going to make a change like this, especially one to work that we actually want to be doing, it requires no small amount of time or energy and action to be able to make that happen. So uh, a variety of people had asked something very, very close to the effect of, hey, I'm finding that I only have limited amounts of time and energy to be able to make this transition. And furthermore, my schedule has a tendency to change with things like travel and other things that pop up along the way. What can I do in order to make sure that I am being able to make enough time when when my schedule's bouncing all over the place and also have the energy to be able to make this transition successful? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. You know, we're, we're all busy. You know, there's so many projects we're all working on. Um, and so if you have a full-time job, if you've got family, if you've got children, and you're trying to make a career change, I mean, you've got a full plate already. So with that being said, I, th- I think this this sort of time management question can be looked at a few different ways. And one way I'm, I'm seeing that is important to look at is managing your expectations. If you already have a busy, a busy life, and it sounds like this person does with travel and, and an unpredictable schedule, like you, you might have to change your expectations about what sort of a perfect schedule looks like, or um, you necessarily having the energy to do it all every day. So I think that's something to look at. It's, it's let's let's change expectations here because I think we sort of beat ourselves up for not doing enough. Meanwhile you know, you're tired at the end of the day, you know, and I think that's something to consider where a lot of us beat ourselves up where we probably shouldn't be. So changing expectations around how much you can actually get done with all that you have to do, I think is important. And then I guess the second thing I would say to that is, you know, I I love one of the questions from the Career Change Bootcamp program around this specific topic coming from um, the One Thing book by uh, Gary Keller, right? Keller Williams. Real yeah. And uh, um, Jay Papazan, who was the co-author, was on the yeah. podcast a while back as well. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, talk about a, a question that sort of just cuts through all the noise is what's one thing you can focus on that by doing so will make everything else easier. I mean, that question is so simple and beautiful and powerful but, you know, if you're feeling like you're going in a hundred different directions, you've got a lot of things to juggle, part of this is the responsibility of prioritizing. And a great way to prioritize is asking yourself that, that very important question of what's the one thing? What's that like lead domino thing that uh, will impact all the others? And so focus on that, delegate or eliminate, uh, you know, the hundred other things on your to-do list because realistically you can't do a hundred things in a day. And really focus on being effective and not letting yourself feel so overwhelmed by everything you have to do. It's kind of miraculous how that works. You know, I think that <laughs> yeah, right? there's there's two sides to it. One, you know, if we're in a situation that is not exciting to us and we want mm-hmm. to make a change, then a lot of times we want it done sooner rather than later. On the flip side, yeah. you know, if we're going after something that really is, uh, I guess you could say something that very few other people in the world have where we want to be able to do work we want that, uh, that excites us and feels purposeful and meaningful and we get paid well for it. And all mm-hmm. of the other things that, uh, that we have a tendency to want, if you're listening to a show like this and yeah. 
you know, that is less common in the world. So therefore it takes a higher degree of action and sometimes more time along with what that action. So then it's this really interesting balance of wanting it now and desiring it now versus doing something that is harder and does take more action. And I think exactly what you just said is uber important. You know that you're not going to be able to do everything. So you have to do the most important things. And then you have to mm-hmm. be okay with doing those most important things because otherwise it's not going to, it's not going to happen, but it is uh, the thing that I always hear from many of our students. And, and, you, and if you've listened to the show, you've probably heard this from a few different interviews as well, mm-hmm. is that it's surprising looking back how quickly your life can drastically change. When it doesn't feel like that in the moment necessarily, but when you're on the other side of it and (laughs) you realize, yeah, Yeah. when it's only been four months or it's only been, you know, five or six months or something like that, it's surprising how quick that that can add up when you're focused on the exact two things that you, you just mentioned most. So I so appreciate that on many different levels. And I, yeah. I'm repeating it again because it's it's just really really powerful and um, and that in some ways if there was one secret that is that is a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and to your point, I think it, it it's always going to take longer than you want. <laughs> uh, you know, as a job secret, can never go fast enough. Yeah. But when you're on the other side of it, you kind of see the wisdom in that. You kind of see like, oh, all right, like it took this it took as long as it was supposed to take. Yes. Um, yes. So yeah, I think people should sort of give themselves the grace and not beat themselves up about how long things take and just sort of focus on, uh, you know, what's in front of them. Well, you heard it here first. Um, definitely <laughs> take that advice. And Mo, I so appreciate you taking the time and making the time. This has been a, you. another, you. Uh, you did not disappoint, a yet another super fun conversation. Uh, just yeah, every time yeah. I get to chat with you, I uh, am so glad that we have you on the team. Thank you. Thank you. Well, listen, it was, it was an honor to be on the podcast. Uh, I love what you are doing, what you've created. And I am so looking forward to, uh, you know, putting more people through the program and, and, and changing some lives here. So if you're thinking about joining, do it. <laughs> we, we've got you covered. We've noticed a funny phenomenon. We all have something we'd love to do or accomplish or even be that is wildly unrealistic. And for some people that's starting a business for the first time, for others, it's making a career change to something that you know you'd love, but for some reason doesn't seem quite possible. And if you've ever wanted to do something, but thought, eh, that's not realistic, then I want to ask you this question. What if it was possible? What if the only thing unrealistic about what you really want is the fact that you think it's unrealistic? See, here at HTYC, we've been helping people do the impossible and do things that they've felt were unrealistic since 2012. And we've realized that it doesn't have to be impossible. And on January 3rd, we'll actually be releasing a three-part series on the behind the scenes of how we help people just like you make wildly unrealistic career changes. If you're not already subscribed to the podcast, you'll want to make sure that you do that now in your podcast player because you will want to look out and make sure that you automatically download this entire series. It's going to not be like anything else that we've ever released before. So, 
take a look out and make sure that you're subscribed or subscribe to our email list so that you'll get this series as soon as it drops. So that way you can stop settling and go after what you really want in this new year. We have much more coming up for you next week, right here on Happen to Your Career. In fact, we have a question that we're trying to answer very specifically. Are there better ways to gauge success? And if there are, what are some of those ways? And does it have anything to do with how we traditionally view success? So finding a way to move forward that doesn't also bring all the old discontents with you and that allows for you to expand and grow and step into something that's going to be so much more fun for you without having such huge risk and such huge fear around that, that it keeps you from making a move forward at all. We get to dig into all of those questions and answers next time, right here on Happen to Your Career. And I just want to say thank you, by the way, because... We've had a lot of amazing people go out to iTunes, go out to Stitcher, and write ratings and reviews for Happen to Your Career. And that helps so many other people find the show, which means then that we can get even more people into work that they absolutely love doing and really is meant for them. This one comes from Roz J UK. It says, Happen to Your Career is a podcast I've recommended to so many people I've met going through a career transition or who want to make a change, even if they don't know what that change is. I love hearing other career changer stories and the depth of detail that Scott goes into with his guests. It's reassuring to hear about their struggles, confirming that no one is alone in in having a bumpy career. Regularly listening to this podcast has helped with my own career journey. So thank you, HTYC, from me over in the UK. Please keep more great content coming. Thank you. Hey, and we'll see y'all later. Until next time, I am out. Adios.